Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the founder and CEO of Siler Tucker Incorporated. She holds the Mergers and Acquisitions Master's Intermediary title, is a certified mergers and acquisitions professional, and a certified senior business analyst. She owns several businesses across different industries, and as a 20-year veteran in the M&A industry, she is regarded as the leading authority in buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. Her firm has sold over a 1,000 businesses in almost every vertical. Her latest book is Exit Rich, the 6P Method to Sell Your Business for Huge Profits, a Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. Please welcome Michelle Seiler Tucker. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Dr. Gary. How are you? I am terrific. I have to tell you that I've only had one other merger and acquisition expert on my podcast, and he was with me well over a year ago. So this is exciting stuff when we look at the way the industries, the different industries are going today with a lot of consolidation and divestiture and all all kinds of things that are happening all the time. So let's dig into that. And how did you get into the mergers and acquisition business? So that's a good question. You know, I didn't really wake up one day and say, oh my gosh, I'm going to sell companies. <laughs> right. But from a youngster, I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I always knew I wanted to own my own businesses. And I say own businesses because I have owned many different businesses and different verticals. And I just knew I really didn't want to work for anyone else. And I always told my mom, mom, I'm never going to get a job. <laughs> but then Xerox recruited me. And I went to work for Xerox. And within six months, I was promoted to regional vice president over a hundred salespeople. And I realized really quickly that I don't like that job. <laughs> I don't like the job. And I really don't want to work for corporate America because it's very difficult to get anything done. And I, you know, I'm just, I'm solution oriented. I figure out the problem. I come up with a solution. I like solving problems and. I don't know if you've ever worked in corporate America, Dr. Gary, but it's very difficult to get anything done, especially at that level. And so anyway, I ended up transitioning out of Xerox, transitioning into a franchise developer, franchise consulting, franchise sales company, and was equity partner with different franchisors growing their companies. I had so many buyers that kept coming to me asking me for existing businesses. And I kept saying, no, that's not what we do. You know, we only work with franchises. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, why am I saying no? I should be listening to the consumer and providing such service. And that's really how I got into mergers and acquisitions a little over 20 years ago. Personally, I've sold 500 companies. And altogether, my firm has sold a little over 1,000 businesses in pretty much every vertical you can imagine. So let's let's back up for a sec, because there's a couple of things that you said early on that I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to. The first is you say, well, I don't want to work for somebody else. Right. But, you know, the job comes up and you go to work for Xerox and you learn something. You you confirm that you don't want to work for somebody else. Right. But right. you said, I want to be an entrepreneur. Now, wait a minute. 
go back to when you started that. Did you actually know what an entrepreneur was? You know, probably not. I, as a little girl, I wasn't your typical little girl. I didn't play with toys and dolls and things like that. I always carried them on a clipboard with paper or a notebook <laughs> and a pen. And you I wanted to be in charge, didn't you? Yeah. And I would just walk up to perfect strangers. If I saw you at a grocery store, I would walk up to you and say, hey, who are you? What do you do? How did you get started? And, you know, my mom always thought I was going to be a reporter, but I've always been overly curious. And I've always been fascinated with entrepreneurs and how they start their business, even from a very early, early age. And I always knew, you know, that that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be an entrepreneur and and start different businesses. Yeah. So, and I think you just said that the real key to that a lot of times is trying to find out what your talents are, but the curiosity of it mm. is to be able to just do things that other people wouldn't do. I mean, I have to say, I've been in uh, grocery stores and you know retail stores many, many years, and I've never had a young woman walk up to me with a clipboard and start asking me questions. So that's pretty unique. You didn't live in California and you weren't living in Austin. <laughs> so I missed you. you. That's right. I missed you. But, yeah. but there's a certain ingrained value for a lot of entrepreneurs that we call curiosity, right? That's they're curious. They're trying to do two different things. But that, that's nice. But- you have a method, you have an approach that you've learned being in all of these companies yourself, by buying and selling companies and assessing companies to figure out if a merger is a, if an acquisition or if a sale is even worth looking at. Right. And this is what your new book is about, right? Right. My new book, Exit Rich, you know, I, it's my third book. Right. Right. My new book, Exit Rich, you know, I, it's my third book. And it really, the reason I wrote it is because the, the business landscape has changed really dramatically. Mm-hmm. And especially since when I wrote my very first book in 2013, but the business landscape has changed. Plus, what Steve Forbes says is true. 80% of businesses on the market will never sell. 80%. And that really should be a wake-up call you know, a slap in the face, so to speak, for most business owners, because you have less than a 20% chance of success, less than 20%. Plus the business landscape has changed so much since I wrote my very first book, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth in 2013. When I did the research back then in 2013, I learned that startups were at great risk. 90% of startups between one to five years will go out of business. We all know that, right? That's common knowledge. However, this is what most business people don't know. When I did the research for Exit Rich, I was flabbergasted to learn that the business landscape has actually flip-flopped. It's not startups that are at great risk anymore. Now it's existing businesses. Only 30% of startups will go out of business. About 27.6 million companies, those businesses that have been in business for 10 years or longer, will go out of business. And, you know, Dr. Gary, we're here about the public companies all the time in the media. The media talks about Toys R Us and business 75 years goes out of business. Kmart, Steinmart, Pier 1, Disney stores are closing. Godiva Chocolate's closing 1,500 locations. But the media doesn't talk about the private businesses that are the backbone of the U.S. economy. These business owners are dropping like flies. They're sell- they're exiting poor, not rich, selling for pennies on a dollar, closing their business, or even worse, falling for bankruptcy. So that's why I wrote Exit Rich. Exit Rich is all about how not to become, you know, part of that 70% statistic, how to build a sellable asset. So when you do want to sell, you actually have a business that, that buyers want to buy and will pay top dollar for. 
So talk a little bit about where you think the businesses, and we'll dive into the whole leadership part of this, where businesses, those 30% that will be successful, what are they doing differently than the ones that are failing? So there's a big difference. It used to be that when individuals with startup businesses, they typically were leaving corporate America. And I call this the dreamer type business. You know, did you ever see the movie Field of Dreams? Yes, of course. So they yeah, have build the it and they will come. Exactly. And that's the mentality that so many startups had where they would go in and build another coffee shop or build another ice cream store or another restaurant. And they're not really doing their due diligence. They don't really look to see that, hey, there's already 10 coffee shops in the same block. <laughs> or there's already, you know, 50 restaurants in, in, in within a mile of each other. And they don't really do that due diligence. They just have this passion that they've always wanted to own their own business, you know, in dry cleaners, restaurants, whatever it may be. And then they go and start the business without really doing their due diligence. Well, things have changed dramatically. We have so many millennials and Gen Zs that are really looking at what is the problem? What are the problems that exist? And Mm. what are the solutions? And so many of these entrepreneurs are starting businesses that are not the dreamer type mentality businesses. It's not another coffee shop. It's not another ice cream store. But it's the company that's solving problems and they're innovative and they're great at marketing. And that's why they're successful versus all the entrepreneurs before that. Does that make sense? Yeah. So one of the things that when I talk to entrepreneurs quite often and a lot of individual contributors, you know, and we, we know about the, as companies grow, the entrepreneurial myth, the e-myth, the book that was written decades ago, mm-hmm. you start a business and it doesn't matter. You're an electrician, you're a plumber, you're whatever you're, you have a technical skill and you go out and you you sell that technical skill. And, and you say, oh, I've started a business. Well, what you've done is you've just gone into being a 1099 for, for clients around the countryside, right? But you haven't really started a business in the, in the sense of growing a business yep. like a true entrepreneur is not yep. you doing the work, but getting other people to do the work and leveraging yep. that. Yep. But I also hear what you're saying. And what one of the things I try to get, what do you think about this, is trying to get creative and combine Several things that bring together ideas where people go, oh, that's really interesting. I could use that service that combines plumbing, electrical, and HVAC all together, one-stop shopping, or Mm -hmm. a coffee shop with, uh, I don't know, specialty donuts and a uh, a dress store at the same time. You know, where you take combined ideas Mm -hmm. and get creative, and like you were saying, to try to find a problem that's innovative, different, and and these people that are in their own right very curious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But how do they take it to the next level? Then whatever that is, you've you've worked with a lot of businesses, and you know the the exit rich. You talk about the six P's, and and you educated me on this when we talked people, product, processes, proprietary, patrons, which is customers and profits, and kind of in that order, right? It's mm-hmm. in that order. So. If I if I look at the it's six P's for a reason, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you know, and and it's great because I, the work I do in leadership, I say it's all about the people mm-hmm. wrapped around a proprietary product that people will buy mm-hmm. and they see value in it, so that mm-hmm. you can make some profits in it, right? So it's a combination of all of those things. Where do you see even established businesses? Where do you see them failing? Yeah. So, all right, let's talk about that because that's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, I I just want to comment on what you said earlier 
that yes, you know, an electrician with a plumber with you know, AC and heating, ex- construction, even remediation businesses, those one stop shop businesses are extremely popular. And that's, you know, there's five different types of buyers and a lot of strategics are looking for businesses that they can roll up and provide that one shop service to clients. But all right, so where are businesses failing? Well, many places. Number one is when I said 70% of businesses are going out of business out of 27.6 million companies, the, the number one reason for that is because business owners stop doing what I call AIM, A-I-M. AIM is always innovate and market. Business owners stop innovating, they stop marketing. Toys R Us did nothing new in 75 years. Blockbuster had the opportunity to buy Netflix twice, sat back and did nothing, and is out of business. So lack of innovation is the number one reason that businesses are dying because you're either growing or dying. There's really no in-between. And so many business owners are married to their original concept that they don't want to change that. They don't want to innovate. And earlier you made another comment, which you're spot on, when you said, you know, somebody goes and gets their plumber's license and now they're a plumber, but they don't really have a business or 1099 and they're working for their clients. So, so many, so many entrepreneurs have really created a business that they go to work at every day, a glorified business that they go to work at every day versus a business that works for them. So what we're doing in Exit Rich is really helping these clients build an infrastructure, a foundation where their business will be sustainable, scalable. And when they're ready, they'll actually have a sellable asset. Because there's a big reason why 80% of businesses don't sell. The number one reason is that business owners don't think about selling until a catastrophic event occurs, whether that's internal or external. Internal is like health issues, partners disputes, divorce, death, you know, the business not doing well. Hey, I have so many business owners that will call me up and say, Michelle, I just can't take it anymore. I can't take these employees. Employees are driving me crazy. You know, I would tell you that's probably in the top five reasons why businesses sell is because of their employees. You know, and in external are these pandemics, fires, hurricanes, et cetera. And the worst time to sell your business is during a catastrophic event. So you really need to follow the GPS exit model that we talk about in my book, Exit Rich, and build your business on the six P's. The first P being people, which Mm. is what you work with, Gary. And the reason why I put people first is because you don't build a business, you build people. And people build a business. Without people, you don't have a business, you have a job. And I always say, if you don't have an assistant, you are the assistant. (laughs) And the problem with entrepreneurs is we really got to, it's my mission, my passion to help change the mindset of entrepreneurs. I really want entrepreneurs to stop thinking of their business as their baby. Your business is not your baby. Your babies are at home. Go home, love them, hug them, kiss them. Your business is your most valuable asset and you need to treat it as such. And so many entrepreneurs have this mindset that if I want it done right, I have to do it myself. Well, that can't be further from the truth because there is no entrepreneur out there that is good at everything. We have to really focus on our strengths, hire our weaknesses. Entrepreneurs need to stop working in their business and work on their business. We got to make sure we hire the right people and put them in the right seats. A lot of times, Gary, we have the, the right people, but we have them in the wrong seats. And we're trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. And we're frustrated and the employee's frustrated. And then we have to ask the who question. 
Who opens the doors? Who handles customer service, marketing, legal, accounting, manufacturing, logistics, quality control? The list goes on and on. The clue here, Dr. Gary, is that you should never be next to the who because we're trying to build a business to run without you. Yeah, so I want to I go back to this for a second because you said something that, you know, when I do marketing and sales, I try to help people understand that pain sells. Mm. And it, let's talk about pain for a second. Sure. When's the best time to sell your business? When things are going well, your profits are high, everybody's happy, you know, it's, it, you know, customers love you, right. you're growing. Okay. And what you said was 95% of the time, the owner is uh, distressed in health. There's a market problem. There's profitabilities are low. Things are going bad. Oh, let's sell. No, then you're not going to get the, the most for your money. That That's crazy. Right. So the, the idea here is to at least consider what it would take. And, and this is your whole point. Consider what it would take to sell, whether you sell or not is irrelevant. But consider mm-hmm. what it would take to build your business so it's healthy mm-hmm. so that if you want to sell it, you can get the most for it. Correct. And you set your, you and your family up for success. I mean, I had a lady call me from Texas the other day. Her husband at the age of 40 dropped out from a heart attack. <gasps> oh, Left yeah. her with a mountain of debt. And she said, can you sell my business? And I started asking her a series of questions. Well, he has no employees. He has no people. He has subcontractors. He had no processes, which is the third P. All the data was in his head. So when he died, the business died. So yeah. it's my mission, my passion to get business owners to build a business, operating again on all six P's, build a solid foundation so that you set yourself up and your family up for success. Exit Rich is all about building that sustainable, scalable business. So you actually have a sellable asset. The reason 80% of businesses don't sell is because business owners haven't created a business that buyers want to buy. It's that right. simple. And I always say there's more buyers for good businesses than there are good businesses to buy. Yeah. Yeah. People are always looking for those kinds of good investments. Yeah. You know? Including yeah. myself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as I, as I think about this, I think I have the name for our podcast today because I'm always looking for a name and it's going to say, build it and they will come. Not. <laughs> so, you know, follow the, follow uh, Michelle's six P's and, and stop building something where they won't come. So, and I have to, I have to admit, Michelle, as you're talking about this, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got my own business and I, I look at the, the P's and I've got six deterians and I have a product leadership program. We've got processes that are in place on how to run this leadership program over nine months that if I died tomorrow, that people could run it. It's semi-proprietary because it's in the heads of my, my people. Because we, I, I've told people all the time, I'll tell you why we're proprietary. I can give them our training manuals, our PowerPoints, our, our agendas and everything. You can't do what we do because of the experience over the last seven years of doing this because the next P, which is our patrons, our customers, have given us feedback and input to constantly make it better, which I think you talked about innovation in here, right? And, and you know, the profits are coming. So I'm doing self-analysis as we're talking, Michelle, just with complete openness and learning from you. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders can learn whether no matter what size business they have, what I have found in the work that I do with customers is the leadership teams are really honestly focused on these six P's that you're talking about. And they, they might not think about it in the same way that you do in the methodology, but I can, I can go back and assess it myself. That's why I love simple models like this that you can share and say to people, look, you need to get this book and you need to follow the model. 
The hard part in all of this, I think, is number one. It's engaging your people in an organization that has a purpose, that knows why they're in business. And it's something that people can connect their personal purpose to the business purpose and make a difference. Where have you seen the biggest challenges, let's say in mergers and acquisitions? I'm going to throw it out there. I think, could be wrong, but I think it's a combination of two things. Alignment of selling to the same customer base, because if they're selling to two different customer bases, then you really have two divisions. You don't have one company. And number two, it's alignment of cultures. If the cultures don't match, decision-making gets screwed up, people get into arguments over who's in charge and so on. What's your experience, Ben? Are you talking about like, what's the biggest challenge on merging companies together? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say the customer base for sure. You know, I own a graphics company, vehicle wrap company, and we specialize in vehicle wraps for first responders. Well, we also want to diversify and go into corporate vehicles, commercial vehicles. Well, in my opinion, that's a different, separate division, completely separate division, right? So yeah, I think, because you have different buyers, that's what people right, need to understand. You have it could be buyers. the exact same vehicle, but it's different buyers. It's different buyers, and it's it's well. There's a lot of things that are different that that go along with that, but. So exactly. So we have to look at the the customer base, number one. Number two, the culture. You know, when we're merging companies, the culture. Number three, one of the biggest things that you haven't mentioned yet is the owner, the current owner. Mm. You know, because the current owner, you know, entrepreneurs are typically type A personalities. (laughs) And they march to a beat of their own drum. They know how they like things, you know. And even, even if what they do... Even if their habits are not the best or not, you know, they don't really maybe have the best core competencies, et cetera. They think they do. <laughs> and right. it's very difficult when we sell a percentage of a company or we merge the companies together because that current owner really wants to keep doing things the way they've always done it. And it's very difficult. It's kind of like a marriage, you know. They really haven't had time to date each other. They really haven't had time to get to know each other. They really haven't had time to build that bond. And all of a sudden, bam, they're partners. Yeah. <laughs> bam, it is they're, a in business. they're in business Absolutely. together. And that, yeah. I would say, is the biggest issue above culture and above the customer base because we really want to make sure that they're going to be able to work together. We've got a big deal we're working on right now that we're selling for about $70 million for a percentage of the company. And, you know, my entrepreneur is great, but he's been doing this since he was like 10 years old, you know, and my concern is when we bring somebody else in, they're going to want to do things their way. So we're really trying to make sure we bring the right fit, you know, and as M&A advisors, it's not just about selling a business or finding a partner. It's about really making sure that we make a good fit. I mean, we're really a matchmaker, you know, and we got to make sure that everything meshes and to ensure that smooth transition. But I would say that's number one, making sure that the partners can get along with each other. Yeah. So that, that is at the very top, the merging of the cultures in a way, because they represent that culture, especially in entrepreneurial organizations. And as you're talking, I'm making notes here on the the profile of an owner. They they like to be in control. They Mm -hmm. tend to be action oriented, make things happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to say the third thing is their success is their biggest enemy. 
because they mm-hmm. think I've got this figured out. I know how mm-hmm. to do it. My way is the best way. And I've proven it for 10 or 15 or 20 years. And they're not willing to give up that control. And until they are in some way, share that control and realize that there's more than one way to do business, then you've got a real challenge in front of you. Absolutely. Absolutely. And even, you know, it's funny because even when they're not successful, they still think their way is the best. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I don't know if you've ever watched a profit with Marcus Lamonis on CNBC. I don't know if you've no. ever watched that, but no. he goes in and tells them exactly what to do. Sometimes he changes the company name. He changes the logo. He throws a different color paint, you know, on the building. He leaves for a couple of weeks. He comes back. The old sign's up. The old name is up. The old paint color is back. Yeah. So, you know, I always say that you'll never grow a business beyond what you can grow the owner. I agree. I agree. So let's say you've got an, an owner that is flexible. They don't have all the negative things that we talked about with control and action, but they're actually willing to work with others. And they've got Mm -hmm. a strong leadership team in their company. Even then, where do you see the biggest challenges for owners like that with their companies in terms of selling or merging with other companies? You know, one of the biggest challenges with owners is really coming to terms with why do they want to sell? You know, Mm -hmm. if they're going to merge, then they're still going to be involved in the business. If they're going to sell outright, the biggest challenge is what am I going to do next? (laughs) You know, and we really have to help business owners determine what their beginning strategy is before we can help them with their exit strategy. Hmm. Uh, It's kind of like the empty nester syndrome when all the children move out and the parents are left there looking at each other going, now what? (laughs) And the, the business owner, you know, after they sell their business, they're like, now what? So we really work with our owners very closely because even if they merge or even if they partner, it's not it's not indefinite. You know, the partnership might when they if a company buys seventy percent of the business, that might be for three years and there's a three year buyout. Mm-hmm. So we still got to work with the owners to make sure that they're comfortable with what they're going to do after the sale, and make sure that. We know their seller sanity check, what's the most important thing to them when they sell, because it's not always about money. You know, a lot of times it's about making sure their employees are taken care of, making sure their clients are taken care of, making sure that the new buyer is going to grow their legacy. I would say that's probably number one is because most entrepreneurs are so proud that they want the new owner to really continue to grow that legacy. Yeah. So it's interesting. We, when we do a lot of leadership executive coaching, with our CEOs and we ask the question, you know, what do you, what do you want? And that's really what you're saying is what, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And the very first uh, in the seven steps of intentional leadership, my, my book that I talk about all the time, step one is purpose. But the first part of that is not the purpose of the organization. It's the purpose of the owner. What's your purpose? And you really said it earlier. This is my baby. You're mm-hmm. like, no, this isn't your baby. Go home and stay with your babies, your children, your family. There's other things that are at least as important and ought to be more important in your life. So the next question is, what's next? What's next in your life? If, if a business owner has a personal mission and they talk about how they want to live their life rather than what do I want to do, they start to move more towards being a human being rather than a human doing. But because of an entrepreneur, they're doing, 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 doing so much that they don't step back and talk about how do I just be? How do I just be me? And how do I fit in with these other things that I do in my life, these other roles to talk about what's next because they can fulfill their entrepreneurial drive in other ways than running this company. 
They mm-hmm. might get involved with a nonprofit. They might find someone else they want to do. I mean, look at what you're doing. You're an entrepreneur. What do you do? You're writing a book. You're helping other entrepreneurs learn how to be better at life. Isn't, mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that underlying? I mean, if I say, Michelle, why did you write this book? What, so to become famous and talk about the six Ps? I guess it's more important than that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what is your why? What is my, my why is entrepreneurship. I, I just... Like I said before, I'm you know I'm like a kid in a candy store. I love entrepreneurship. I love, I'm so curious. I love finding out how does somebody start a business that's now worth a hundred million dollars out of their pickup truck with an eighth grade education, yeah. off their kitchen from their kitchen table with a fifth grade education. You know, I have so many multi millionaires that don't even never went to college and they're so 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 successful. And I just my whole passion and mission is. You know, entrepreneurship, helping business owners save their business, helping business owners exit rich. Because like I said before, so many are exiting poor. Very few are exiting rich. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't have your formula, your six Ps. Yeah, because I mean, they don't truly, have my six Ps. That's right. That's we haven't right. even talked about all the six Ps yet, but the six Ps are the solid foundation. You know, it's kind of like when you go to build a house. What do you do? You dig deep. You you plant the foundation. You put in the electrical, the plumbing. You put everything in from the beginning so that when a strong wind comes by, <laughs> you know, your house will withstand that strong wind. Same thing with a business. We have financial storms all the time. And we want to make sure we build that infrastructure so we can weather all the different financial storms, pandemics, different things that are going to come our way in business. Yeah. So for that, that executive leader, that entrepreneur, the ability to be able to constantly be assessing the six P's and understanding where we're at with these and how to have a strategic plan in place to hold themselves accountable and their team accountable to take care of their people, making sure their products are, are sound and people buy them their processes are in place and they can processes are all about being able to execute something for customers consistently. It's your brand, right? I, well, yes. Well, what I always say about processes, you know, and we can go back to product in a minute because product is, a, is one of the number one reasons the businesses are failing. So I think we should go back to product in a minute, but processes, one of the biggest mistakes I see business owners make is they're designing their processes around their own agenda, hmm. not around the customer experience. Ah, so there we, we really, go. We really have to stop and ask ourselves or ask our clients, you know, but ask ourselves, what do we want our clients to experience and come up with three things? Just three, three is what you need. Three things, the top things you want your customers to experience and don't build your processes around your own agenda. I'll give you an example. Doctor's offices. What do doctor's offices do? What are their hours? Monday through Friday, nine to five. Do they design those processes, those hours around their patients? Experience around their own agenda, around their own agenda, right? So did you ever watch the movie The Founder based upon the McDonald's brothers? No, I have not. No. Okay. I encourage everybody to go watch the movie The Founder. McDonald's started McDonald's in 1950. They said back in 1950 that we want to build a fast food restaurant because there wasn't any fast food restaurants in, in 1950. And then they said, we really want to design our processes around the customer experience. What do we want the customer to experience? And they said, well, we want the customers to experience fast, a great tasting food that's hot, fast, 30 seconds or less. So they designed everything around that experience, even though they wrote these processes back in 1950 and tweaked them along the way and improved them. It is the reason why we can eat at a McDonald's anywhere in the world 
and get the same experience. Great tasting food that's hot and fast. They never said it's going to be great customer service. <laughs> they never said the food's going to be good for you. You know? Right. So we really yep. got to go back to the basis. And if you don't know what you want your clients to experience, then you need to ask your clients, what do you want? What do you need? How can I make it easier for you to do business with us? Because uh, here's well, the bottom. Hold, hold on a second. You mean I'm supposed to, as an entrepreneur, ask my clients? Yes. <laughs> wow. Is that in your book, by the way? Because that's profound, right? Yeah, it laugh, is in my book. It is in my book. The reason I laugh is I'll share with you. My doctoral dissertation was on this whole aspect of business to business customer service perspective. And in the 157 pairs of people that were providing services, one was providing service to the other. And we assessed what the customer thought the perception of service was and what the service provider thought the customer service was in 157 instances. Okay. 40 questions. And the correlation between the the two was zero on a plus one to minus one scale, right in the middle, zero, which, you know, people say, well, what does that mean? It means that we have no idea what our customers want. Yeah. So I'm talking to a board of one of the uh, clients that I was working with and they said, well, how do we find out? Michelle, you just said it. I said, go out and ask them, you know, which is what we did. Imagine that. We actually go. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, yeah, so you said you were going to get back to product. Let's talk about uh, product for a second. And well, um, I just wanted to finish processes real quick. Oh, so, I'm sorry. Yes. Uh, so again, you know, you got to ask your clients, what do you want? What do you need? How do I make it easier for you to do business with us? Because customers are not loyal anymore like they used to be. <laughs> and whoever makes it easiest for the consumer to purchase products and services is a company that's winning. Amazon yeah. is winning because they make it so easy. You can practically buy a, a horse on Amazon and have it delivered in two days. Yeah. So you also want to make sure, though, that those policy and procedure manuals, it's an ongoing process. And I always say, look, if you don't deliver wow experiences for your clients, your competitors are going to do it and you're going to lose market share. You know, in my office, we have two policy and procedure manuals. We have one called wow and one called unwow because every wow that we produce in our office that creates a wow experience for our clients moves us up the branding ladder. Mm. Every unwow moves us down the branding ladder. So we use our unwows and our wows to really train our team on really how to provide extraordinary customer experiences. Yeah. Wow experiences. And then they need to be productive, efficient. You need SOP checklists per department, Etc. Because that's the first thing a buyer is going to look at when they come to buy your company, as they want to see how well papered it is. All right. As far as product goes, we talked about lack of aim, lack of innovation, lack of marketing. Your product is your product, your service, your industry. You have to look at it and ask yourself: Is it on the way up, on the way out? Do you have an Amazon and you're in your prime? And if you're in your if you're in your prime, that's when you sell. Because businesses have life cycles like humans do, and nothing lasts forever. So you sell when you're in your prime, not when you're a blockbuster and about to go out of business. But if you are a blockbuster and about to go out of business, you need to ask yourself these three transformational questions. This is what Amazon did back in the 90s. Ask yourself, what business are you in? What business are you in? Amazon said we're in a book fulfillment business. Mm-hmm. Then you ask yourself, what are your core competencies? What does your company do better than everybody else? What's your USP? 
unique selling proposition. And Amazon said, oh, we do fulfillment better than everyone else. Then the third obvious question is what business should we be in? Should. Because Mm -hmm. business owners have to pivot. We have to innovate. We have to pivot. And Amazon said, ding, 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 we need to be in a fulfillment business, fulfilling products for everyone all around the world. Those three transformational questions transformed Amazon from a small book fulfillment center to the multi-billion dollar worldwide conglomerate that they are today. These are transformational questions. I always say if you want better answers, ask better questions. And not only that, but you'll never grow in the transactional. Most entrepreneurs live in transactional, day-to-day, day-to-day, day-to-day. You got to become transformational because that's where you grow. It's the same thing based on McDonald's restaurant. McDonald's restaurant, what business are they in? Do you know? Uh, well, their primary business is in the real estate business. But- Bingo. They're in the real estate business. But, you know, go watch the movie, The Founder, because Ray Kroc, who ba- who basically stole McDonald's from the McDonald's brothers, he was in the bank trying to borrow money, and the banker wouldn't give him more money because he was over leverage. A gentleman followed him outside the bank and asked him, he said, look, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I think I can help you. Everybody goes, what can you do? Can you loan me money? And the guy goes, no, but I can help you. And he asked him, he said, what business are you in? And Ray Kroc goes, I'm in the restaurant business. He goes, no, that's not the business you're in. What business are you in? And Ray goes, I'm in the restaurant business. He goes, you need to be in the real estate business. You have to be in the real estate business. You have to buy the properties, build the buildings, lease them to the franchisees. When they're not compliant, you, you void the contract. That gentleman's question is what catapult Ray Kroc to the next level. He started McDonald's corporate royalty. It gave them him the leverage to really take McDonald's away from the original founders, the McDonald brothers. And it's the reason that McDonald's is the largest real estate holding company today. So yeah. if that gentleman would have never followed him out of the bank, though, there would be no McDonald's today. That's yeah. the power of these questions. Well, and I, I, I love it. And I, I know your book is full of these questions. And we've asked a lot of questions like, <laughs> uh, w- you know, with the owners, what do you want? What's next? What's your real business? Who are your real customers? What's the customer experience? A lot of these questions. And I think that's where your expertise is. And we're going to leave it at that because I don't want to I don't want to give them all the answers on the podcast. They need to get your book so that they learn how to exit rich. And so we're going to give them all the answers to the questions, but I do have one more question for you. Okay. And this is the question I ask everybody at the end of my podcast, Michelle. My question is, if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to you 20 to 25 years ago, what would you tell Michelle? Hmm. I would say, Michelle, well done. Well done. Bravo. Well done. (laughs) I would say, Michelle, you came from tremendous adversity. I made yourself what you are today, and you've left a huge impact on the world because you help save businesses, you help business owners exit rich and enjoy the fruits of the labor, and you raised your beautiful daughter, Arabella, and you're a great wife, a great mother, and a great friend. Well done, Michelle. Just keep it up then, (laughs) and stay on path, right? Yeah. Right. That's awesome. That's great. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us today and sharing all your, your thoughts, your wisdom. I, I, you know, we, when we do a lot of coaching, we, we have three levels of coaching, but the very first level is asking good questions. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've learned about you today is you have some great questions that you can help businesses with and they can learn more about this 
by getting your book Exit Rich, which will be in the show notes and how they can contact you if they need some help. So thanks so much for being here. Can I tell them about the bonuses they get, Dr. Gary? Oh, yeah, bonuses. Yeah, let's put that out there. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so Exit Rich, just to tell you a little bit about Exit Rich. Exit Rich is endorsed by Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes says Exit Rich is a goldmine as entrepreneurs leave way too much money on the table when they sell their business. Sharon Lecter, have you heard of Sharon Lecter? I have not. Okay, you are the first podcast host ever to tell me you have not heard of Sharon Lecter, <laughs> but that's okay. She, you, you've heard of a book called Rich Dad Poor Dad, right? Oh, yes, yes. She co-authored Rich Dad Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. Oh, okay. She's okay. a CPA, financial literacy expert, and advisor to different presidents. She writes Mentor's Corner after each one of my chapters from her perspective. Mm. Um, Kevin Harrington, the original Shark on Shark Tank, writes the forward. And then we have glowing testimonials from Brad Sugars from Action Coach. We have Brandon Dawson from Grant Cardone's team. We have Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen for Chicken Soup for the Soul, Brian Tracy, Tom Hopkins. We got glowing testimonials. Exit Rich is not about selling your business. Exit Rich is about building a sellable asset mm. so that you can create a bidding war and get top dollar for your business and finally enjoy the fruits of your labor. So so what's the bonuses? Tell me what the bonus. What's okay. what, where's the, what, what yeah. do I get? I'm going to go buy the book. I just wanted to say really quickly for anybody that lives outside of the United States, go to Amazon because of shipping cost. Inside the United States, you can go to exitrichbook.com, $24.79 plus shipping. We will email you the digital download immediately. We'll ship the hardcover to your doorstep. We'll give you a lifetime membership into the Exit Rich Book Club where there's video content of me really doing deep dives in these different techniques and strategies that we've been discussing here today, plus documents, documents to operate your business, documents to sell your company. So we have sample employee handbooks, org charts, policy and procedure manuals. To sell your business, we have sample LOIs, letter of intent, purchase agreements, due diligence checklist, closing documents, and much more. Everything you need to sell your business or operate your business is there for your review and download. And Gary, this would cost you over... $50,000 if you want to go recreate all these forms. I know because I spent the money. And then we will also give you a 30-day free membership into Club CEOs, which is an entrepreneurship mastermind where we do hot seats and Q&As and really ask those transformational questions so we can help business owners transform into a sustainable, scalable, and sellable business. All at exitrichbook.com. If you prefer to go to Amazon or your favorite bookstore, that's okay too. Then just email us, marketing at Siler Tucker. Dot com And we will send you all the bonuses after you email us your receipt. That's great. Okay. Well, Michelle, it's been a great pleasure. I, you're doing great work being an entrepreneur yourself and all the companies you've helped. Now you get to help even more through Exit Rich. This is great stuff. Thank you very much for being our guest today. Thank you, Dr. Gary. Thank you for having me on. It was my pleasure. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks again for joining us on Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.